This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Showtime and the new series, The First Lady, starring Viola Davis as Michelle Obama, Michelle Pfeiffer as Betty Ford, and Gillian Anderson as Eleanor Roosevelt. Step behind the curtain and into the private lives of the world's most public women. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good afternoon and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Karen Tumulty, Deputy Editorial Page Editor and a columnist here at the Washington Post. And it is my absolute delight today to be discussing an upcoming Showtime original series, The First Lady, with Suzanne Beer, the director of that series, and Jillian Anderson, who plays Eleanor Roosevelt in the series. Um, And it looks at the very complicated lives and enduring influence of three very, very different first ladies. So Suzanne, I think I'd like to ask you first, uh, why did you pick these three first ladies? Um, Eleanor Roosevelt, Betty Ford, and Michelle Obama to to focus on and and weave their stories together. What do we learn about our our first ladies through these women? Well, first of all, they are three really extraordinary women. But we are also spanning 110 years. And um, starting with Eleanor Roosevelt and ending with Michelle Obama. And I think by bringing those three stories together, we are not just um, describing three amazing women, but we are describing the, the, the story of all women during, those, during that whole period. Not just all women, um, all human beings, at least in, in this part of the world. And for me, being involved in a project like that, which has such a scope, not just in terms of of time and place, but in terms of human depth, and um, was just so utterly fascinating. And I do feel that I kind of understand um, all of us a little bit better after having done it, and I hope audience will as well. So Jillian, let's talk about Eleanor Roosevelt. She really was our first true social activist in her own right as a first lady. And I think every first lady has since then been measured to some degree against Eleanor Roosevelt. But as you portray her, she had a very complicated personal life, an unfaithful husband, an overbearing mother-in-law. Um, she was, I think you could say, a fairly unenthusiastic about motherhood. So how do you take all of these things and weave them into this person who became truly the conscience of her husband's presidency. In fact, she was the legs that Franklin Roosevelt didn't have. She could get out around the country and see the problems in ways that that he couldn't. Well, I think, you know, uh, on the one hand, all of that is woven together for us between the, you know, in in the scripts and during the editing process, uh, which I know had um, uh, changed and undulated from beginning to end. Um, And where we see 
Eleanor, she is, we go back in time at one point and we see a little bit of her childhood and so much of what took place in her childhood influenced who she became later on. And there was so much, so much sadness and so much trauma um, you know, growing up with a mother who who put her down constantly and who told her that she was ugly and she wouldn't amount to anything and and um and then a mother and a father dying when she was eight and ten and and uh, growing up uh, under the care of a grandmother who didn't really care for her. and you know, she had it she she didn't have it easy. And yet, what her childhood was about and and how she um, grew out of that swamp of sadness made her so um, sensitive and compassionate to the underdog and to the underprivileged and to, even though she was a Roosevelt, where her mind was and where she felt her duty was, was about, and where she felt the most joy was in being of service to, to every man, to every man, to every woman, to every human being who did not have the privileges that she had. And her entire life she gave over to being uh, of service in that way. And so she was that young woman, she was that woman even before she uh, before Franklin was um, was president, and she found a way to turn the role of first lady into exactly what she needed it to be in order to be the woman that she wanted to be, and um, and and that woman was you know she wrote. 24 books and she had a, a, um, a radio show every single day and a My Day column um, uh, uh, every day and um, was so unbelievably active and uh, in the civil rights movement and and did work for soldiers and I mean she was everywhere she w and for everyone and you know to even imagine that one could live up even in the tiniest little way to um, this extraordinary woman is just, it, it feels unfathomable, you know. And yes, she had uh, five children, but she had five children who, uh, you know, she she did struggle with, with motherhood and her first, uh, her first love was being of service. And um, so all of those aspects make for a very interesting you know, for an actor, for a very interesting and complex character. And I think that the writers go a long way towards, um, uh, you know, putting as many aspects and facets of who she was onto the page and onto the screen so that we get to see, you know, quite a full um, uh, scope of, of a human being and, and of a woman at the time. Can I just, uh, can I just add to that, that Franklin also fell in love with that woman. I mean, he fell in love with that young woman who was someone who wanted to be of service. So it it it's it was um I mean, she very interestingly pretty much was who she was from a very young age. And part of their relationship, which is also part of which is shown in the show, is that um that he he truly admired her 
And I mean, without hesitations, and their relationship was very complicated and, and not necessarily at all times entirely happy, but it was, at, it was always um, very much a, a very, very deep mutual respect. And from his point of view, uh, admiration. So it was very unusual and quite, in a way, quite weirdly contemporary, very mm. unlike um, in that respect, very unlike m most, or very like, unlike how we perceive relationship for that particular period. And she, of course, makes the point. I mean, she grows up beautiful mother, but not believing she is physically beautiful. But then she makes the point that the real thing of beauty is to be useful. And certainly, certainly devotes her life to that. Um, this is such an interesting moment, though, to be looking at our first ladies, because I think that we really have seen a great reassessment of who they are. There have been a number of biographies out about first ladies and heck, I even wrote one myself. Um, and you see that Michelle Obama's own memoir became the biggest selling mem memoir of anyone in history. Uh, we've seen a first lady become a senator and run for president twice. Do you think the country has reached a point where they are looking at these women sort of in a different light and a different kind of appreciation maybe than they've had in the past? Oh, gosh, definitely. And I think that that definitely started with Eleanor, you know, I mean, you know, really, really creating what that role was and 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 it adding import and value to it. And, you know, that it wasn't, um, you know, her role wasn't just for the sake of serving uh, other women and 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 um, and decorating the White House and you know all of the expectations uh, that came with the role when she first um, when they first got into the White House she really crafted something you know and 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 you know having having an all female press corps and having regular um uh meetings and uh with an all with all female press corps encouraging newspapers to hire women so that they could send a woman because men weren't invited in order to sit and uh be in her company and hear what she had to say that she found ways to to sway people and to talk about things that she that that were political and that she thought that maybe Franklin didn't necessarily have the ability at various times to press certain topics based on the impact that would happen were he to take up the cause. He would sometimes allow her to do what she felt she needed to do and say, you know, and he'd be able to to deny and say, you know, well, that she's my wife, she's got a mind of her own, and that's quite an extraordinary thing. But she she really set the tone for um, for that role to be um, uh, to to have great great meaning and value and to be as um, you know uh, as not as important, but you know. To, to be an incredibly important uh, platform 
um, to make change and to get things done and to serve the people. And yet each I, of our first ladies also, has, had to, oh, sorry, has sorry. had to invent this role for herself. Um, and you know, you don't get a job description, you don't get a portfolio. And, and I think none of them have come into the role with in a more accidental set of circumstances than Betty Ford, who's played in this series by beautifully by Michelle Pfeiffer. And uh, Suzanne, talk talk about her a little bit. Um, again, she she sort of was married to a congressman from Michigan. She never wanted to, um, she just really wanted to have a happy life in a way. She never wanted, she was not attracted by uh, what that position could do to her. And I don't think she realized it would ever become a reality because, because Jerry Ford did not anticipate become president. And nor did the not did the not did the country anticipate Jerry Ford becoming president, and and never mind Betty Ford becoming first lady. But once she was there, and once she realized what she could do with the position, she totally um, embraced it. Not personally, I don't think she ever personally enjoyed it. Um, I don't think she ever personally really enjoyed the, the attention, but she greatly appreciated what it could do in terms of, of furthering the causes she believed in. And she was a very, um, a very um, progressive and, and I mean, she was supporting um, so many women's issues. And I mean, she was kind of, I mean, her whole take on breast cancer, I think, profoundly changed the world and profoundly changed the perception of how we talk about it. And so I think um, she she stumbled into a huge position of power and um, used it very, very smartly and brilliantly and um, changed a whole lot of things. But I, I wanted to say something in, 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 in connection to what you spoke about earlier, about whether the first lady position have changed. What was interesting with this show was that obviously a lot of things have changed and, and many things have changed for the better. But interestingly, there was a number of, um, Michelle Obama hit a number of walls that were almost identical to Eleanor Roosevelt. So on the one hand, the position have changed. On the other hand, there are very similar things. And I think it, it essentially reflects that our society is definitely different from what it used to be 110 years ago, but it's still not an even society. And which is why I think, which is also, I think one of the reason why Michelle Obama's book became so big because I think there's such a need for addressing um, female power and female potential change that, which is why this series is so incredibly relevant and important. <laughs> and, and she is played in, in the series by the wonderful Viola Davis. Um, 
But she too comes into this political life reluctantly. There's a wonderful scene where the secret service descends on the house and her children are sort of traumatized. Um, talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about Michelle Obama, because of the three first ladies you focus on, she's the one who's still on the scene. She's the one who is, to this day, such an influence in our society. So could you talk a little bit about her own sort of growth and acceptance of the role that sort of fate had, had picked her to play? You know, I mean, she's also the scary one because she's alive. And I think we all, I mean, I mean, I think Viola in particular, we have this kind of, kind of, whoa, what do they think? What, how are they going to feel when they watch it? I mean, do they feel, can they reckon? I mean, in my, in my fantasy world, um, they watch it. And if they don't recognize concrete details, they feel um, aligned with how we perceive who they are and and their development and what they became. Um, but Michelle Obama, in a way, I mean, starts out being completely disinterested in politics. But she's always very um, conscious of um, moral issues, of, of um, kind of helping the greater good. And so I think in a way her, her, her hesitance to politics has more to do with a, almost like a skepticism about the effect of politics, whether it actually really can do what it sets out to do, because there's no doubt about her wanting to change the world for the better. Everything she does is about that. And so, so it's been very interesting in in talking with Viola about this part about how to how to balance how to balance the hesitance to politics and the hesitance about the White House and and the more than anything the public exposure and the danger um, to the family because being the first black president is definitely a very precautious position in terms of, of being threatened. I mean, the, the, the threat to them was palatable. And so, so balancing all of these things uh, into showing life and showing a life in the White House, which became, became so impactful, um, was very much the, the challenge in telling that story. So um, I, I think we, we have a clip here that we would like to show from, from this series. Yeah, thank you. Eleanor, aren't you supposed to be with the retired honest, first lady? We're on our way. Um, will you make sure that he reads this? Uh, yes, of course, what is it? It's my suggestions for cabinet appointments, okay. female ones. Where are we with the speech? Well, not as far as we would be were there not 40 other things to do. What's more important than the speech, Louis? It's tomorrow. I know. We'll get to it. Well, let me see a draft of it. I can cancel the first lady. You can't cancel the first lady. I can hold her the first lady. It's important that he leads with the cold, hard truth. Add some hope to it, but he needs to state the facts plain and simple. 
There are 30 million Americans out of work, and they don't want to be pandered to. Couldn't agree more. Left to his own devices, Franklin always errs on the side of optimism, but we need to strike the balance. This is our... Earl and the car have been outside for over an hour. Oh, goodness. Well, that's entirely unnecessary. I'm going to walk. You're you not walking. Walk. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jillian, one of the more intriguing parts of this is, is the exploration of Eleanor Roosevelt's relationships and the sort of emotional sustenance she got from other women. And specifically, there is the relationship with Lorena Hickok, the journalist. What are we left to, to make of that, since there's been a lot of speculation about that over the years? There, there has been a lot of speculation. I mean, I mean, there, there was an entire book that was um, published of their letters back and forth, which were incredibly intimate and um, um, you know, very much hinted at a a physical intimacy uh, as well. And we also know that apparently um, Hick had destroyed um, a number of the letters at some point, perhaps because she felt that they might be too incriminating for either of them. And so I, um, you know, I, I think there there are those who don't want it to be true, and there are those who do want it to be true. And from what I've understood and read, and certainly how we explore it in the series, um, uh, Hick was an, an incredibly important, long-standing, um, romantic relationship in her life. She also had other relationships, other relationships with women, other relationships with men. There's also a, an ambiguous relationship with her bodyguard, Earl Miller, who was a very strapping, um, tall, handsome man who, and they spent hours and hours and hours together riding horses and going swimming. And he taught her how to do things that she had previously been afraid of doing, uh, physical things. And um, so she had some really devoted, uh, long-standing friendships. And, um, and she was in that arena so much more complex and courageous than um, then perhaps her, uh, we'd expect her that from either herself, from her physicality, from that particular time. Um, but she was an incredibly modern woman in that sense. And, and again, where does the, I mean, she grows up in the ultimate of privilege. You know, her, her uncle is president of the United States. Where does this empathy for the downtrodden come from? Well, I, I think it comes from so much loss as a child, you know, having a beautiful mother and being told every day that she was ugly, um, being told that she um, uh, had to work on her mind and her education because she was never going to um, you know, properly win the right kind of man with her looks. And so she had to uh, work on her studies. Um, and and I think she felt that she really, there were so many things that she did that she felt that mortified 
her that she felt like she had had disappointed her mother, you know, um, so many, so many things. And, uh, you know, down to she talks about at one point being scolded. Uh, her mother was so embarrassed because in front of a teacher, Eleanor was not able to spell the word horse. And um, and her mother took her failings, Eleanor's failings, uh, very personally. And um, and so I think she was very used to she was lonely. She she um, as I said, she lost her her mother and then her beloved father when she was her father when she was 10 years old. He died of alcoholism aged, I think, 34. Um, and um, and she absolutely adored him, continued an interior life as if they were together almost as a couple, um, living life together, um, going forward in her mind. She had a very um, strong interior life and then ended up, you know, moving in with her grandmother who um, made her work with the servants and and um, and and work in the kitchen and uh, also was never celebrating of her as a, a unique and um, um, uh, thriving young person. And so when she eventually got out of that system and ended up going to school in the UK and um, under the the uh, tutorage of a woman called Madame Sue Best, and you know, discovered her voice and was taught how to debate and was taught that she could do anything. And and they traveled Europe together and she suddenly had freedom for the first time in her life. And and that's the first time where she really, really discovered um, um, who she was and what she wanted to be. But at the heart of that, at the, the root of that was an understanding of deep, deep sorrow, deep difficulty, compassion for for people who um, who had it hard. And, you know, she started a school with a couple of uh, women friends of hers when uh, Franklin was a governor in Albany. She started a school back in the city and she would travel on the, on the train every day and go and teach and and the salary that she made, she gave away to charity. Um, uh, all of the salary that she ever made through her columns and um, and the works that she did, she always uh, gave away. Now that's an easy thing to say when you're being, you know, um, uh, financed by one of the wealthiest mother-in-laws uh, in the country. But she didn't have to, you know. That she she felt that that was her duty and her purpose and she genuinely genuinely felt and did um change you know felt that she could and she and franklin could uh improve people's lives and she spent every waking moment of her life trying to do so so she was also very frugal i mean she was very frugal and 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 um and i mean she she liked clothes, but she wasn't spending a lot of money on anything. And she, so she was this, um, in a way she was, she became the, the conscious of the world of, 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 of the States, uh, because she was so profoundly morally focused on helping the world, which is why, which is why Franklin 
let her hold the speech where after Pearl Harper was bombed, she made the speech on the radio to the to the public because she, there was something she was uncompromising about always doing the right thing. Well, Suzanne, though, until now, these have all been women in this role. Someday there is going to be a man as the first spouse. So what do you think he has to learn from all of the women in whose uh, footsteps he will be following? He will have to learn to use the system the way that they all did. To use this to use the system to actually achieve way more changes than all of us realize um, and to to kind of um, unlike the presidents who are faced with the reality of power um, the first wife um, can actually change things because they do them slightly from other angles and are never really confronted with you know, necessarily publicly showing what it's about. So, so whoever is going to be that guy is going to sort of um, copy what these very, very smart, very accomplished, very um, uh, uncompromising women have done. And I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to that. <laughs> They'll have to well, learn what's not about him. Right. <laughs> Well, again, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. And just I, I just so enjoyed every single one of these terrific performances in this series. So first of all, congratulations. I, I think people are really going to learn a lot by by watching the First Lady. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.